Welcome everyone to Daf Yomi, one week at a time, Masechet Ketuvot. Uh, this is our fourth class, uh, and today we are going to be reviewing Daf 21 through 27. Um, and today we're going to be dealing a lot with testimony. Uh, we saw this previously, and we definitely saw this in Masechet Yevamot, uh, the idea of when people are believed, uh, when people are not believed. Uh, and we're going to bring up, again, as we mentioned last time, some very important fundamental concepts uh, in order to understand when we believe certain witnesses uh, and when we do not. Um, so the Mishnah, actually on Daf 20 at the bottom, uh, the Mishnah says, uh, one witness comes and says, this is my signature. Remember, last week we were talking about um, signatures on a document, right? Specifically, to vote, meaning that's our, uh, that's our main focus, but really could be on any document. Um, so in order to validate or authenticate a, uh, a document, we need to authenticate the signatures. So one person says, this is my signature, and that other one, uh, that's the signature of my friend, meaning I recognize that signature. And the other witness comes and says the same thing, right? This is mine, and I recognize the other one. So the Mishnah tells us that they're believed because we now have, in theory, two witnesses for each signature, right? The, the, the person themselves plus the other person. If each validates his own signature and not the other one, then you need another person to come and validate uh, the other signature, or maybe not, maybe all you need is to validate your own signature and that's enough to authenticate the uh, contract. Okay, so the Gemara tells us at the top of DAF 21, um, when a witness comes to authenticate his own uh, signature, this is testimony. And if it's testimony, as we know, uh, in general, testimony, if we need a testimony, we need two witnesses. Again, in previous lessons, we've learned that uh, the rabbis were lenient in certain cases and accepted one witness. But in general, we need two witnesses. Um, or uh, another option is um, you are coming to testify that you saw this loan take place. Uh, and for that, uh, you don't need another witness, meaning you are enough uh, to say that, uh, meaning it's part of the transaction, right? You're saying this actually happened uh, as opposed to actually giving testimony, and therefore maybe one witness would be enough for that. Um, okay, um, if we only have one witness uh, plus the other witness uh, on another contract, uh, that can work if, again, the, the witness writes his name. Ah, so the Gemara says, how are we going to authenticate the signature? So the person writes their name on a piece of pottery. Again, in the time of the Mishnah, the Gemara, pottery is as if you're saying, write it on the whiteboard, right? Meaning pottery is something that's going to be thrown away in a minute. Uh, so it's seen as temporary, right? So if he writes his name on pottery so that the court can authenticate his signature, uh, so then that works. Um, the Gemara discusses a document for orphans. Uh, and here it says it's better to have two witnesses for each signature, even though the law is really that you only need one. Uh, with, with orphans, we want to be extra careful, uh, and therefore it's better if we could have two witnesses. Um, now the Gemara discusses if a witness, let's say we only have one witness, um, but one of the judges who are sitting in court, let's say also uh, witnessed the event. So the Gemara tells us that a witness and a judge can combine in order to give testimony. Uh, but here then the, the Gemara qualifies to say that the wit there it's two types of testimony. The witness is coming to say that this document, let's say this loan took place, whereas the judge is coming to say, I recognize that signature, I saw it on another document. 
Um, so it's interesting, um, if it's two separate types of testimony, the Gemara says then that those don't, they don't um, combine. But if they're similar, right, meaning let's say the judge happened to walk down the street and see the same incident as the witness, then they can combine uh, to make it as if there are two witnesses. Um, and here the Gemara explains this a little bit better, right? So let's say three people sat down to validate a signature, right? They become the court. Again, it's interesting because we think about a court as something that's very organized, right? We go to court, the judges of court, but really a court could be three men who get together uh, and they become what's called a bait din. Uh, we see this, those of you who have ever done uh, the selling of chametz, um, a lot of times, or uh, when you do uh, in, in before Rosh Hashanah or before Yom Kippur, we do something called hatarat nedarim. We, um, we want to annul any vows that we've taken over the year. Um, so that could be done in front of three people, right? Three men sit down, they become a court. So the Gemara says three people sat down to validate a signature. If two of them recognize it, and one doesn't, so then the two people, meaning the two judges, can testify to the third, and now all three of them can sign on that document, meaning in order to authenticate it, right? So we see here again, the judges can become witnesses, um, right? And the opposite, a witness can become a judge, right? Let's say the judge needs to hear testimony about a signature. Um, and then the Gemara says, right, maybe, no, the, maybe the witness cannot become the judge. Maybe he's too involved in the condition, in the case. Um, so the Gemara talks about when they would um, uh, sanctify the new moon. Uh, if you remember, we learned in Masachat Rosh Hashanah, right? Now I can go back. Uh, when we learned in Masachat Rosh Hashanah about making the new month, right? What would happen? Remember, the witness would come and say, I saw the new moon. This is what it looked like. Um, so the Gemara says that if three people saw the new moon, but they are actually the court, meaning they're the three judges. So again, two of them become witnesses. They testify to the other person, and then they all take turns, meaning the then you know one of the other one, and right then two others testify to the third one, meaning so everybody um, becomes a witness and a judge. Um, and here, right, the Gemara says this is because it is um, biblical, and therefore we need everyone to have heard the testimony. Um, Again, three judges were going to ratify a document, um, and then a question comes up about one of the judges, right? So if, right, there's something, they're concerned about the validity of one of the judges, if they didn't sign the, the contract yet, then two of the judges can testify for the third one, meaning to say, oh, no, no, I know this man, he's an upstanding citizen, it's okay, he can be a judge. But if they already signed the document, now they can't testify for him because they're already, right, their testimony would be tainted, right, because they don't want to mess up um, the, the document that they just authenticated, right, they would be... Um, their their testimony is tainted, right? Because they have vested interest in making sure that he's okay. Um, so that would be uh, not okay if they already signed the document. Um, Daf twenty two asks, right? What what kind of um, uh, disqualification could it be? Uh, maybe uh, they someone comes and says that this judge stole something for me. Right? If someone stole something, they can't be a judge. And then the other judges say, we know that happened, but he repented. He did shuva. Uh, and therefore, it's okay, he can be the judge, which is also like an interesting idea about, uh, you know, when do we say someone can repent? When do we forgive uh, things that happen? So here it seems that that would be okay. Um, what happens if, again, three people sit down to authenticate a, a document, and then one of the judges dies. 
Um, so then they write, uh, we were three judges, uh, but one of them died. And now we, like the two that are left, sign the document. Meaning we want to make sure that you realize that you can't have a document signed by only two people. It needs to be three. However, they say, really, there were three people here, and they all authenticated the original document, which is, like, very interesting that that could happen. Okay, the next Mishnah on DAF 22 tells us, um, a woman comes to court, and she says, I was married, but now I'm divorced. Remember, we did have these cases previously. Uh, again, to remind us, we learned the concept last year, uh, last week. Um, I'll say it in Hebrew first, right? Right? The mouth that makes her uh, forbidden is the mouth that makes her permitted. What does that mean? Remember, we talked about that she didn't have to say anything. A woman can come to town and say, I'm single, right? We don't know who you are. But the fact that she says, I was married and now I'm divorced. Remember, we said she didn't need to say it. And therefore, we accept her testimony, meaning we believe what she says. However, says the Mishnah, if there are witnesses that tell us that she was married, now she's not believed because she's not saying both sides of the story. We already have witnesses that say she was married, so now she has to bring proof that she was divorced. We don't just take her word for it. If she says, um, I was taken captive, but I wasn't raped, um, we're going to talk about this a lot today. Um, first of all, it seems that unfortunately this was something that happened. I don't know how frequently, but it definitely happened in the time of the Mishnah, the Gemara, that the non-Jews would take people captive, uh, primarily to ransom them for money. Um, and the assumption of this Gemara is that, um, if they would capture a woman, they would most likely rape her. Um, that is the assumption. Now, if she says, I was captured, but I was not raped, again, uh, as we said, if she's giving us all of that information, we believe her because she didn't have to say anything. Uh, the fact that she gave us all of that information, we believe her. Um, again, um, if... Uh, again, as I mentioned, if, however, there are witnesses, uh, then uh, we she is not believed. Okay, so the Gemara tells us that this concept of hapeshe asar, right, the mouth that makes her forbidden, meaning her own mouth, by her own uh, um, admission, she is saying, I was originally, right, you might have thought that I was prohibited, but really, I'm okay, right? So that concept is biblical, right? The Gemara tells us it's based on certain verses, but it's also very logical, uh, and therefore the woman is believed to say all of these, uh, all of these cases, right? Where she says, "I was married, but I'm divorced now," or "I was captured, but I wasn't raped," uh, and therefore she can marry whoever she wants to marry. Um, Interesting, um, there's a story of a beautiful woman, woman who tells everybody that she was betrothed, right? Every man comes to her and says, will you marry me? And she says, no, 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 I'm already engaged. I'm already engaged. Leave me alone. And then she turns around and she gets engaged to somebody else. Um, so the question is, do we believe her? She told everybody she was engaged. But the Gemara says, we know really why did she tell everybody she was engaged? Because she felt bad and she didn't want to hurt their feelings, but she didn't want to marry them. Uh, but now when she says, I was not betrothed and now I am, we believe her, right? Meaning if there's a, um, if there's a logical explanation to her testimony, so then we will believe her. Um, okay, remember in Yevamot we discussed right? Two witnesses versus two witnesses, right? Two witnesses come and say this woman was divorced. And then two witnesses come and say she wasn't divorced, right? So then the Gemara says she does not need to leave her second husband, right? Two against two is equal in the sense that how do you know which one to believe? Therefore, if she already got remarried, she stays remarried. If she's sure that he died or that she was divorced, 
um, she doesn't have to bring uh, a sacrifice, right, if, if it turns out that it didn't work, meaning she was sure. What about a case where it's one versus two, right? We know two is obviously stronger than one. Important to know, by the way, in case we, I'm, I'm sure I mentioned it previously, but three is not stronger than two, meaning once you get two, it doesn't matter how many more you have, it's not stronger. There's a concept called Shtaim Kamea, right? Two is like a hundred. It doesn't matter after two. One is what we would call partial testimony, and that's where we have an issue. One versus two. Um, um, hold on. Do not kidnap, steal. Uh, yes, kid, exactly. It is part of the Ten Commandments. It is very, uh, very strong and exactly right that uh, when it says don't steal, um, the rabbis explain in the Ten Commandments when it says don't steal, it actually means to kidnap, uh, which, correct, is is a problem. Um, and yes, very forbidden. Um, and that's why it carries the death penalty. Uh, correct. We're actually going to get to that in a, in oh, a little sorry. bit. No, no, excellent. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, hold on one minute. Um, okay. Uh, again, the Gemara goes, as I mentioned, one versus two. Uh, again, remember we said one is believed in these cases. Remember we said we wanted to make sure that a woman would be able to remarry. We do believe one witness. Um, is it like it's two? And therefore, if two more come and say the opposite, we don't believe them? Or do we say we accepted it, but now if there's two, it's stronger? Uh, so that's just important to understand the difference of uh, one witness versus two witnesses. Um, what if she says, right, today my husband died? Uh, that's something we can't necessarily check out. Uh, we won't, we don't know uh, when when the husband died. What if she says today she was divorced? That actually we can check because when we find the 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 get right the get the bill of divorce it has a date on it. So that we could actually check. Um, right? If two witnesses come and say she was betrothed and two witnesses say she wasn't, uh, she cannot get married. Um, but if she does, then we don't make her get divorced. Again, two against two. Uh, two say she got divorced, two say she didn't. She can't get remarried. But if she does, and now she does need to get divorced because now it's very serious um, because any child that's born from the second relationship could be a mom's heir if, if that is the case. Um, again, we're concerned about we're concerned about the children. Uh, DAF twenty three um, tells us that um, if she got remarried and then the witnesses come, um, then she does not need to get divorced, right? Meaning she already got married with permission, uh, so then that would be okay. There's a machloket if it's just when she says she was married and then divorced or only in the sense of she was captured, but she's pure. And we're going to see that in the case of capture, we're going to try to be as lenient as possible. Um, again, the issue would be uh, that if she was violated, uh, she would not be allowed to marry a Kohen. Uh, she could marry anybody else, but she could not marry a Kohen. So we're going to try to be as lenient as, po as possible. Um, I, again, the Gemara says that we believe her to say she was captured, but um, she was pure, meaning she was not violated. And she could say, listen, there, there are witnesses that can corroborate my story. Um, so the Gemara says we don't have to wait for those witnesses and she can get married. But if the witnesses do come and then they say, we're not sure, um, she can actually stay married because we believed her original testimony. If the witnesses come and say, no, 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 she's lying, she was violated, so then she needs to get divorced, right? Because that is seen as testimony that contradicts her. Uh, and if she was married to a priest, a Kohen, she would have to get divorced. Um, there's a story of Shmuel's father, right? Shmuel the the sage, his father posted guards for captives uh, that were brought, excuse me, that were brought to the city. 
Um, and Shmuel didn't understand why. Uh, it seems that this is after they were already saved. Uh, then he like started guarding them. Uh, and later on, right, unfortunately, um, the Gemara says that his daughters are taken captive and brought to, to Israel, right? He lived in, um, Shmuel lives in Babel. His daughters are taken to Israel uh, and they enter the Beit Midrash and they say, we were taken captive and we're pure, meaning we were not violated. Uh, and they say that they actually knew the law, right? The women knew the law that if they admitted that they were taken captured, ca a captive, uh, that they would be um, believed to say uh, that they were not violated and they were allowed to marry Kohanim to priests. Um, and uh, again, because of the concept of hapesh asar, as we said before, they voluntarily said that they were taken captive. Nobody else knew it, uh, and they, therefore they were believed. Okay, next Mishnah, again on the same um, theme, uh, two women are captured. Both say that they were captured and they're pure. Uh, we do not believe them. Again, here the Gemara is going to add because there are witnesses that already told us that they were taken captive. Um, if they say she, like we were taken captive, she is pure, right? If one it testifies about the other, she is believed about the other person. Um, again, hapesh asar is when we're talking about the same person. I was X and now I'm Y, right? It's all about the same person. Here we have, we were taken captive, she, right? Now I'm giving testimony about somebody else. So the Gemara now gives us four scenarios. Again, we have these two women, um, and then they say, they, here are the four scenarios, right? One says, I'm impure, my friend is pure. Right, meaning I was violated, she wasn't, that's believed. If she says, I'm pure, my friend is impure, not believed, right? And you're go going to see why all these cases, right? Meaning, um, I, we believe the person, uh, right? I have vested interest to say that I am pure, uh, but if I say that she is pure, it's altruistic, we'll say. Right? I'm just giving the facts. There's no reason I would lie about that. Um, we're both impure. So the Gemara says she's believed for herself, but not for her friend. Meaning you can disqualify yourself. You cannot disqualify somebody else. Um, we're both pure. Again, believed for her friend, but not for herself. Um, so now the Gemara explains here um, that... Um, right, again, there must be witnesses that say that they were captured. Therefore, we don't have the concept of hapesha asar. Right, again, we have independent knowledge that they were already taken captive. Um, okay, um, and and now uh, the the again the Gemara says that she's believed to disqualify herself and or incriminate herself, but not her friend. The next Mishnah tells us, uh, again, a similar, like seems to be parallel. Two men say that they are priests, right? They come to town, nobody knows who they are, and they say, hi, my name is Joe Cat. I'm a priest, right? Again, that has a lot of um, ramifications, right? I get to do uh, the priestly blessing. I get to get the first aliyah in the shul uh, when, when they read the Torah. I get presence, right? I get truma, you give me things. So this is not so clear. Okay. So two, I mean, it's clear, but uh, they could have uh, um, ulterior motives, right? So two men say that they're priests. They're not believed again, because there's benefit to saying that you're a priest. If they testify about each other, they're believed, right? If they, he says, oh, my friend, um, Yosef Katz, He's, he's a Kohen, right? So then they're believed. Um, okay, so the Gemara tells us that the person, again, is believed with Hapesha Asar, but, right, when money is involved, and even when, right, when money is involved, then they're not believed about themselves. Uh, because, again, now we're talking about getting money or getting gifts. Um, okay, Daf 24 
tells us, again, two men come and say, I'm a Kohen, and so is he, right? Beforehand, we had, we're Kohanim. Then we had, he's a Kohen. Now we have, I'm a Kohen, and he's a Kohen. Um, so then they can eat truma, but they can't marry a woman of untainted uh, lineage, meaning we believe them, but we're a little bit, we're still not 100% sure. Or they can't even eat truma until three people come um, to testify, right? To testify for the third guy and then vice versa, meaning there needs to be two people testifying for each person. Then they're allowed to eat truma. Um, again, uh, the Gemara is concerned that maybe these two guys are in cahoots, right? They say, come on, let's go to town. I'll tell them you're a Kohen. You tell them I'm a Kohen, right? We'll work together, right? So there, therefore, we need a third person to come and qualify their statements. Um, okay. Uh, all right. So um, from here, the Gemara talks about, since we were talking about Truma, um, the Gemara talks about the Ame Haaretz. If you remember, uh, an Am Haaretz, we discussed this a, um, a while ago, uh, are seen as either um, people who are not so adherent to the Jewish law, or maybe they're a little bit ignorant of the Jewish law. Um, but here, the Gemara tells us that most of these people did take off Maaser, right? They did set, they, they kept the laws of Maaser. Again, Maaser are the tithes. Um, and therefore, when donkey drivers come uh, to testify about their own produce, we believe them because most people do separate these uh, tithes. Um, but, or, says the Gemara, maybe we don't believe them because maybe they're all colluding together, right? Maybe they're all working together and trying to, uh, you know, help each other, um, right? If they come and they say, oh, these pots are for sale, um, maybe, maybe we should assume that all of them are impure, right? Because I don't know who touched what. Remember, again, we talked about this idea of purity and impurity. If an impure person touches the pot, it becomes impure. Um, but if you're, um, if, if it's not for sale, meaning if it wasn't out in the storefront, then we could believe that it is pure because nobody touched it. Um, okay. Uh, one second. Okay. If a document says, right, um, I, Ruben the Kohen, lent money to so-and-so, can we assume that he is a Kohen, right? Again, we were talking about direct testimony. I testify that I'm a Kohen, but here... It's actually, by the way, right? This is a document of loan, X lent to Y, but it happens to be that the document says, Mr. X, the priest. So is that enough to prove that Mr. X is a priest? Um, so the Gemara says that if it's signed by witnesses, uh, it's actually a machloket, right? Because again, and this is a fundamental idea, when witnesses come and sign a document, so if any of you will be witnesses on anything, I mean, we're women, so not so much, but okay. Um, it, it, when a witness signs a document, there's a look at what the person is signing on. Is the person signing that there was a loan, right? X loaned this amount of money to Y. So I signed my name because I saw X give the money to Y. Or... Am I attesting to everything that's written in the document? Being uh, X, the Kohen, gave the money to Y. So when I sign on it, I'm going to make sure that X is a Kohen, right? So that's the machloket. When I signed on the document, was I careful to read every word to make sure that everything there is truth? Or am I just saying, I saw him give him $100, so I'm signing this document? Um, so that's an interesting machloket in terms of what are the signatures on the, uh, on the document. Um, again, the Gemara asks, if we see a person eating truma, 
can we assume that he's a Kohen, right? Again, it's a machloket. Um, and do we say, because he's eating truma, now he can marry, you know, the best of the best, right? The women with the perfect lineage, um, right? Do we uh, extrapolate one from the other, right? What about if I see the person, what about uh, the priestly blessings, right? Berkat Kohanim. Um, do we say, oh, if he's doing Berkat Kohanim, we assume that he is a Kohen. The Gemara mentions, well, um, true eating truma is biblical. It's much more serious than giving a blessing. On the other hand, what I eat in my house is very private. But if I stand up in shul and I give a blessing, that's a very public statement that I am a Kohen. Uh, so maybe we can learn from one uh, and not the other. Um, the Gemara teaches at the bottom of 24 that during the time of Ezra, which is called the time period of Shivat Tzion, the return to Zion, right? That is after the 70 years of the exile in Babylonia, in Babel, when they come back, um, right, in the time of Ezra, um, all the priests uh, needed to prove their genealogy. Um, and one family couldn't prove it. Uh, and therefore, they said, you can't eat from sacrificial meat, right? Till we figure out for sure what family you're from. But it seems from here that they were allowed to eat truma. Uh, and therefore, it's interesting uh, that that seems to be um, a, a proof that they don't have to prove themselves 100% in order to eat truma. Um, okay, DAF 25 tells us, um, again, let's talk about the concept of chazaka, which we've done before. Chazaka means um, we have prior experience or knowledge about something, right? Chazaka usually means when something happens three times. Remember with a field, we talked about a farmer who worked this field for three years and nobody said anything. We assume it's his field because he's worked it for three years. So chazaka uh, generally is something three times. Um, so if a Kohen has a chazaka that he can eat truma, meaning everybody knows that this is the one who eats truma, um, and um, it says that uh, he can eat truma if he did birkat koanim in Babel, meaning if everybody knew that in Babel this guy got up every every uh, you know holiday to give the priestly blessings, then he can eat truma. Right in Israel, if he right again, he can if he can eat challah in Syria. Syria is adjacent to Israel, like Syria. Syria, um, it's adjacent to Israel, and it has some of the laws of Israel and some of the laws of outside of Israel. Um, and this Kohen can also get gifts in the city. Reading again, uh, there seems to be a correlation between all of these things. Um, Again, the Gemara says we can assume someone is a Kohen if uh, they do Birkat Kohanim, they do the priestly blessings. Um, but again, not for lineage. We don't, we're not sure 100%, but for Chala, right? To remind ourselves, nowadays when, when we're saying the word Chala, we mean the part that we remove, right? Why do we remove that part of the chala? That was usually given to the Kohen, right? So he can, if he does the priestly blessings, we can give him that piece of chala, that sanctified piece of chala. Um, okay, uh, and since we're talking about chala, um, so the Gemara tells us that when Yoshua conquered the land, right, when Joshua conquers the land, the Jewish people were obligated in chala um, for all 14 years of the conquering and the settling, um, but not for truma. When were they obligated in truma? Again, truma being the gift that's given uh, when we're separating the tithes. Um, that was only after they settled the land. That was after 14 years. Or the Gemara says the opposite, right? Or truma now is biblical, meaning more severe, whereas chala is dirabanan, it's less severe. Um, so again, we 
could learn maybe one from the other or maybe not. Um, if someone testified that a person got the first aliyah in when they're reading the Torah, right? Again, it is customary for the first person to be called up to the Torah should be the priest. If there's no priest, so then you can call maybe a Levi, if not a Yisrael, um, but it, it could be a proof that the person is a Kohen. Um, the Gemara says, right, that Rabbi Yoshua HaLevi, right, the Levite, was accepted as a Levi because someone testified that he got the second Aliyah, right? The second Aliyah is that for the Levites. Um, or maybe that's not enough to see what Aliyah they get to read the Torah. Rather, you have to see that they're eating truma. Um, right? Again, uh, one sage elevated his son uh, to the status of Kohen um, based on the father's word. And one sage did it <coughs> based on the brother's word. So it seems that they could give testimony for one another. Second. Okay. Um, the question is, wait a minute, how is a father giving testimony for his son or a brother for his brother? Uh, the Gemara on Daf 26 um, brings up another important concept. I think we've seen it before. Um, the concept of uh, speaking casually. In Hebrew, we say, Messiah Lefi Tumo. He was just talking to his friend. Meaning, when someone comes to court to give testimony, that's very different than me talking on the phone to my friend. So what do we say? When you go to give testimony, so you're going to be very careful about what you say. Or maybe, you, I don't know, maybe, maybe you won't tell exactly the truth. I don't know. But when I'm just talking to my friend on the phone or I'm standing on the corner of the street and I'm talking to my friend, well, why would I lie? I'm going to tell you, right? That's not the point of the story is basically what the Gemara wants to say, um, right? If you're speaking casually, then um, we accept that as testimony, I would say. Here, the Gemara gives us a story. There's a story of someone who's recounting when they were young, they remember that their father picked them up from school and put him on the on on his shoulders, or and sorry, and and took him to the mikvah so that he could eat truma that night, right? So he's not trying to say, "Let me prove to you that I I'm a kohen." He's actually just telling his friend a story about his childhood. So because he's just telling a story about his childhood, we believe him because he didn't. He doesn't need to lie, right? So it's not testimony. And therefore, uh, they actually raised him and, and elevated him to the level of Kohen based on that story. Um, okay. Um, what about if you get Truma from court? Uh, the Gemara says you cannot assume that he's a Kohen, right? Maybe it's just uh, the court was dividing uh, the father's estate, right? Again, we could construct a case where one child could be a Kohen and the other one isn't, right? If the father who's a Kohen married a woman he wasn't allowed to, the ch the, that child would not be a Kohen, he'd be a Halal, he is invalidated, um, but he could still get from his father's estate uh, in terms of inheritance, and therefore it's not proof. Um, what about, right, the, the Gemara says it's a machloket if we can accept one witness for um, testimony if somebody is a Kohen. Um, let's say two people say that he isn't, so then we need to have two people who say he is. Remember, again, back to two against two. If one person says he isn't, maybe I can bring one person to say that he is. Um, but, again, Maybe there's if there's a rumor that he isn't a, a Kohen, so then you need to bring uh, a valid witness, um, maybe one or or maybe two. Uh, and the Gemara goes back and forth um, if their testimony can combine, 
Um, and again, if we need one or two people to testify that this person is a Kohen. Okay, the next Mishnah uh, at the bottom of 26 tells us, uh, again, similar case, a woman is taken prisoner by a non-Jew. Okay, here it's not captive, rather prisoner, meaning prison. Uh, we'll see, right, meaning um, uh, it seems that Again, the Gemara is going to explain, did she do something wrong? Did her husband do something wrong? Um, so we'll see that in a minute. But the Gemara, uh, the Mishnah says that if it's because of a monetary issue, then we assume uh, that she was not violated. Because again, we want to keep her intact uh, and, you know, return her like... Uh, you know, like she was taken. Um, but if it's because of a capital case, again, we're going to see, is it that her husband is, um, um, is Chayav, uh, if he is, uh, needs to get the death penalty, or it's she who's going to get the death penalty, then it seems that um, um, Maybe we assume that she would be willing to sleep with these uh, with her um, uh, guards, uh, and therefore she is um, forbidden to her husband when she gets back. Um, so the Gemara explains um, this is only right only if the Jews are self-governing. If the non-Jews are in control, then we assume, as we mentioned previously, that the woman was violated, right? When we're talking about power struggle, um, if that is the case, we assume that the woman was violated. Um, here, the Gemara explains that really what's the case? That a woman was taken as collateral for a family's loan, which is a crazy idea. Uh, and this actually happens in Ashkelon. Uh, for those of you who are interested, uh, my friend Shuli Mishkin um, wrote an article on Hadran uh, about Ashkelon. Ashkelon is um, a very famous uh, non-Jewish city. I mean, now it's part of Israel and a Jewish city. Uh, but historically, uh, in the ancient times, it was not, it was not a Jewish city. It was originally uh, Plishti. Um, and um, the Philistines lived there. Uh, There's a very famous Philistine uh, city. It seems that it was a very corrupt city. Um, we'll learn, actually, I think in Masachat Sanhedrin, that it's a city of witches. Uh, a lot of things go on in Ashkelon, uh, but unfortunately, this woman was taken as collateral for a loan. Um, so the top of 27, uh, the Gemara tells us she would need to bring witnesses to say that she was collateral, and then she would be uh, permitted to go back to her husband. What are we concerned about? Just uh, by the way, in the previous cases, we had said if a woman was captured, um, she was probably violated, therefore she can't marry a Kohen. Here, we're concerned that not that she was violated um, against her will, rather she went willingly, and if she goes willingly, meaning if she is raped willingly, or I don't know if that's the word, but if she sleeps willingly, that's not the word. Now, if she is willing, whatever the word, if she sleeps with her um, uh, people, her the people who took her, now she's not, she's forbidden to her husband. It's as if she had an affair, right? Because she's a willing participant. We're not talking about uh, when someone has no choice, no control, that is seen as rape. Uh, that would not make her forbidden to her husband, unless, of course, he is a priest. So just that's important to understand. Um, okay, uh, and the, the, the Gemara um, tells us that maybe we're talking about so one option is that she was taken as collateral for a family loan. Another option is she's the wife of a robber. Uh, according to Gentiles, um, if someone was, let's say, convicted of, of being a robber, again, robber or kidnapper maybe, um, the wife and all the property are seen as um, hefker, meaning uh, ownerless, uh, and therefore anybody could do whatever they want and therefore we assume that they were violated. Or maybe uh, they're the wives of murderers, meaning again, someone who is um, 
did a capital offense, and only those women are seen as, uh, um, uh, you know, kind of free for anyone, hefker, uh, and therefore uh, people will violate them. Okay, next Mishnah, I think it's the last Mishnah for today. Um, if a city, so till now we were discussing specific cases, this woman, that woman, woman were captured. Now we're going to talk about a city. If an entire city was captured by an army, um, if there are wives of Kohanim, of priests in that city, we assume that they were violated uh, and now they are forbidden to their husbands. Um, if there are witnesses that say that they weren't violated, even their servants are valid witnesses, uh, then they are believed and they are permitted to their husbands. However, um, a person isn't believed to testify about himself, right? Again, if we know it's not hapesha asar, if we know that they were taken captive, uh, then uh, we don't believe the woman to say that she was not violated. Okay, let's see. The Gemara tells us, um, if an army comes to the city during peacetime, then, uh, and this is in the world of purity and impurity, um, but there's a concept uh, in Jewish law called yayin nesech. Uh, yayin nesech means uh, wine uh, that was used for libations. Uh, this concept is that um, we cannot drink even if it's kosher wine, we cannot drink kosher wine uh, that was in the um, uh, that was opened by a non-Jew, uh, because we're concerned that the non-Jew poured out a little bit of the wine uh, as a libation to their uh, idol, to their god uh, that they uh, worship, uh, and that would make this wine forbidden to Jews. So now. Let's go back to our case uh, there. Let's say it's peacetime and an army comes into a city. Any open barrels of wine are um, prohibited. We assume that they drink from the wine uh, and therefore you cannot drink from it. But if you have closed barrels, those are fine because we assume that right they're sealed. They weren't opened. But during war, this is fascinating because you might think the opposite, but during war, um, even the open bottles, uh, barrels are permitted. Why? Because they have no time, says the Gemara. They're in the middle of a war. If they're in the middle of the war, they're not stopping to libate uh, for their non, you know, their gods. If they're thirsty, they'll drink. If they need to go, they'll go. They're not starting to do these uh, ceremonies. Um, so maybe there should be a distinction uh, in terms of the women in the town. And interestingly enough, again, as I, I said in the beginning of this, this shiur, um, we assume uh, that the urge for sexual impropriety is very strong. Uh, and therefore, and literally, the Gemara says on Daf 27, uh, there might not be time to libate the, you know, to give the, from, from the wine to the, non, to the, the idol, uh, but they'll always find time to rape the woman. Uh, which, again, uh, I, I, I'm not sure how true this is, but unfortunately, I, I do think uh, that these things happen. I don't know about common or not common, uh, but definitely, um, you know, you definitely read um, stories about World War II and how uh, when the Russians, um, you know, kind of liberated cities from the Germans, unfortunately, the Russians did come in and rape a lot of the women. So, um, these stories are definitely out there, uh, and therefore, uh, we are concerned that these women were raped. Um, interesting, though, the Gemara tells us that if it's a local army, meaning it's our army, we assume that they're there to protect our women, and we do not assume that they raped the women. Uh, the Gemara says, well, wait a minute, how do you know that maybe one, right, in general, they won't, but maybe one soldier snuck into the town and raped a woman. And the Gemara says, no, no, no. Uh, if you're sure, right, you, you, uh, you know, put chains around the city and you, there were dogs and you, you know that no one came in, you can permit 
all of the women uh, from, um, from for the, you can permit them to their husbands. Um, what about um, if the women say we hid, right? There was a hiding place. Um, so then the Gemara says we believe them to say that they hid and that they were not violated. What if the hiding place would only fit one person? Uh, so this is actually fascinating. The Gemara says that if each woman would ask by herself, uh, then every single woman could be told that she is permitted to her husband because maybe that woman hid in that hiding place. But if they all come at the same time, we know that they all couldn't have been there and therefore they're going to be prohibited uh, from their husband. Uh, so that's an interesting idea of when we're not sure um, about something, uh, if only one person is coming, we could say uh, maybe they were okay, but if everybody comes together, that's harder to, um, to believe. Uh, remember we said that even her maidservant can testify for her. The Gemara says, how is that possible? Uh, right? She'll lie for her, right? She, so it's her boss, right? So she's going to lie. Um, the Gemara says, no. Uh, interesting that um, the Gemara says the servant maybe won't say anything to, um, you know, for the good of her, uh, her uh, boss, uh, but she's not going to go ahead and also lie. That's already too much. She's not going to do that. And therefore, we believe her servant. Um, and um, the, the Gemara says, again, it's actually Machloket. Maybe we're talking about his servant versus her servant. Um, the Gemara says that, again, as we mentioned, uh, the last thing on Daf 27 um, is that if she's just speaking casually, that's when we're going to believe her, right? Again, this idea of not bringing testimony, rather speaking casually to her friend, uh, you know, and she says, whoa, you should just know uh, what happened last month. We were taken, you know, captive, but I was with my uh, mistress and, you know, I didn't leave her side and nothing happened, right? She didn't go to court to give testimony. She's just telling a story. Uh, so then she is, uh, she is believed. Uh, and even her son would be believed if, again, uh, the same situation happened. And I think we're going to stop here. Uh, there is a Mishnah at the bottom of 27, but we are going to do that next week. Uh, so wishing everyone a wonderful week and a Shavuot Tov. Um, also, just a reminder, as Lynn just mentioned, uh, Saturday night and Sunday are Tisha B'Av. Uh, so we're going to wish everyone a meaningful fast, um, an easy fast. Uh, and um, I know that I did see Web Yeshiva is giving some uh, lessons on uh, Tisha B'Av. Uh, so you can, uh, you know, I guess you can unsolicited uh, um, advertisement. Uh, I did see that they are giving some classes on Tisha B'Av. So again, wishing everyone a meaningful fast uh, and see you next week. To you, thank you. Thank Bye, you, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.